I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Serial entrepreneur Josh Feltzer hit it big like hundreds of millions of dollars big in the early days of the internet. So what's the secret? What's the skill? Is it writing great code? Solving the biggest problem? I see people. You know, I see people. Um, I really try hard to see people. And I really try. That's something I really try and do. I try and see my, not just my friends, but randoms I connect with wherever I'm moving through life. So I really try and see people. You know, I could mention some other stuff about vision and, and you know, like... You just you just did. <laughs> you see people. <laughs> right. That's my vision. Let's just see each other. And while we're at it, let's go save the planet. A new year and an all-new episode of Swan Dive starts right now. From the mobile Peacock and Park Studios and from the mobile Fancy Nasty Studios, it's Ron and Stu in the first edition of Swan Dive in 2021. Stuart, things are a little bit different this year, and I hope it's bright for you as it is uh, for me. It is, my friend. It is actually the 29th of December, the closing hours of this absolutely insane year. Uh, however, this is broadcasting on the 5th of January. It's the very first episode of a new year, of a new era, of a reset. Uh, our guest is an old and dear friend of mine, and it's no accident that he's our first guest for this year because his story and the work that he does, both professionally and internally, uh, I think are very, very emblematic and exemplary for what we all hope to and should do in this coming year in terms of moving to our most authentic selves. So I'm really amped to uh, bring our guest in and wanted to do the honors. Serial entrepreneur and early stage investor Josh Felser was co-founder and president of Spinner, the first multi-channel internet radio service acquired by AOL for $320 million in 1999. He was also the co-founder and CEO of Grouper slash Crackle, one of the first user-generated internet video networks. That was acquired by Sony for $65 million in 2006. After that, Josh co-founded Freestyle, an early-stage VC making active investments in internet and mobile startups, where he's now on the board of directors. In February 2020, he helped launch TSG, a state task force to source private company solutions to solve many of the challenges facing the state of California from the COVID-19 crisis. Building upon his vast experience, Josh now angel invests in companies that foster a more resilient planet with a spotlight on energy management, food, and water supply chain. Welcome, Josh, to Swan Dive. Thanks for having me. Um, I love that I'm feeling some anxiety about doing this. I think because of the longevity of my friendship with with Stu. Um, and Stu, I prefer if you say long time instead of old friend next time. <laughs> but Roger yeah, that. No, yeah, no, I'm embracing kind of that anxiety just to, to you know, this is the first 
like professional, you know, kind of coming together that we've had in a long time. So well, I, I hear you, my friend. Um, I, I appreciate professional. That's aspirational because we, we, we're not making any money on this thing. But no, but all kidding aside, here's a fun fact for, for everyone out there. Josh and I have lived in more of the same cities than anyone else in either of our lives at the same time. Hmm. I did the count. I counted it. You and I have lived in seven cities at the same time in different, radically different chapters of our lives, from New York City to Los Angeles to Boulder, Colorado to Cleveland, Georgia, and on and on and on. So that's kind of a fun fact. And so I've gotten to see your journey from a prepubescent boy at summer camp um, right to this very moment where you're, uh, you know, you've come a long way. And, um, and one of the things that I have also borne witness to is what a hard worker you are. You're a hardworking guy, man. You worked hard. You, you studied hard in school and you went on and got an MBA at Duke and, and, and you came out and I saw you in your early stages of life. I saw you at Fox News and excuse me, at Fox uh, Studios in Los Angeles. And then you saw an opportunity and you took it and you moved to Sky in London. And you're one of these guys that works hard, but also is ready to jump when your gut tells you to jump. And that's kind of quintessential in the swan dive ethos. And so you've made a lot of big pivots in your life, but I want you to answer the question, what do you define as your swan dive? So I'm going to give you a messy answer because I can't clean it up for, um, you know, just for the show, but, but it ends in a clean answer. So for me, you know, 10 years ago, I made an attempt to jump into, uh, to add purpose to what I was doing by starting an organization focused on climate change. And it was back again, 10 years ago, I read this article in the Rolling Stone in Rolling Stone magazine written by Bill McKibben. And it was like, it put math the climate challenge and and it made it so it took it outside of the um the left or the right and it just like here's the math and i i read that fucking math and i was like oh my god how can we all not be focusing on this and so i approached it from a nonprofit perspective and i remember i remember going to pulling bill, bill mckibben flew out and we did the salon at twitter with the ceo uh with the who became Dick Koshla, became the CEO of Twitter. He was the COO then. And we had this group of people that, you know, leaders of industry that came together to hear Bill McKibben talk about climate change. And after it, like nothing happened. No one did anything. I tried. It just <laughs> fell at deaf ears. And then I remember Twitter sharing a poll with me. They did of their employees, what, you know, which causes are most important and climate change was 10th. And I knew that like I was going at it from the wrong direction. And so you know, I started this nonprofit focused on connecting non, you know, climate nonprofits to activists to social media, and it made a little dent. We partnered with the NBA, we partnered with Guns and Roses, and uh, but it wouldn't didn't move the needle, and so I kind of just gave up um, for ten years. Then, so the swan dive, I guess the recent swan dive was um, I took four months off of Freestyle, which is the venture capital fund I started to help start a task force for the state of California uh, to source private company solutions to many of the challenges that were hitting the state from COVID. Food and water security, uh, especially food security, 
uh, mental health, track and trace, all the stuff that we've kind of heard about. And, uh, and I really credit, you know, the governor of our state, who I have known before, prior, just as a, as a human, not as a governor. And he saw the need to bring in private, the private sector to solve this massive problem. And it was frustrating and rewarding, and we did some good work. But what it did for me, my, my dive, was it gave me, I internalized and this whole notion of purpose in what I'm doing. And, and I saw a way for me to take everything I've done in my entire life and redirect it in, into a new space. Now, I'm not, I mean, I'm still, the task force has run its course, but I saw an opportunity to take everything I've learned and, and apply it to the space that I touched 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. is climate change. And, and that I would almost be, you know, the way I looked at it and, and the pull was, I felt like I'd be doing a disservice to my entire life if I didn't apply everything I've learned to date to helping to solve this. It's the cause of causes. It's the most important issue we face as humans on this planet. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, you talked about math. Talk about gut. You're a venture, venture capitalist. It's math and gut, right? And right. when you talk about climate change, there's no gut, right? I mean, is it all math or is it all gut? And why, why are we stalled if it's just that yin and yang? We humans don't do a good job of ROI when it's not an investment, like a, an investment in a stock or a bond or a company. We, we really suck at, at intangible ROI, right? So, so you're asking me, to believe this model that says shit's going to get bad, but I have to sacrifice today to prevent something that I can't even touch and feel in the future. Right. So we're not good at that with healthcare. We're not good at that, you know, exercise, nutrition, look at all the ways that we fall down as humans. We're just not, we're not engineered for that. And so what I quickly, the conclusion I came to is that I have to, you know, I can't, we can't wait for consumers, for everyday consumers to get their arms around what's happening. We have to go after the groups that are ready to get their arms around this challenge. And it, believe it or not, it's actually corporations, mm. right? It's, it's amazing to see what's happening, you know, in, and all of these organizations raising their hand by yet not just forming sustainability, you know, within the organization, but, but to actually get that they have to make as a civic duty, concrete changes to how they operate. Josh, I, I want to thank you, first of all, as a father and as a human being. If there's anybody that I want out there hustling away on the climate change challenge, it's you. Um, but I also want to thank you because you have really hit upon some of the primary themes that we've discovered in Swan Dive and that I think are absolutely North Star issues in 2021, notably this this dichotomy between success and significance. You're obviously quite successful. You're financially comfortable. You know you've got a resume that's that's unparalleled. Um, yet it's really much more about well, what's the significance of my energies and my output on a daily basis? And clearly, climate change and it doesn't get more significant than that. It's a legacy issue for for all of us. Um, 
You're also someone that I have admired immensely over the last decade who's really doing a lot of personal work. You know, you're doing so much work on yourself to make yourself better, to make yourself more evolved, to make yourself love yourself more, to, to make yourself just a, just a more elevated human being. And it's not lost on any of us that know you well. Um, and, I, and I just want to shout that out because it's something that I think a lot of us have done this past year when you've had a lot of time to look in the mirror and a lot of time alone. How do we be a better person? How are we more selfless? And that's the third thing, this idea of we versus me. And you're really embodying all of those things at this very moment, in this moment that you're pivoting. And I hope you're recognizing that. And I hope that you feel good about it because each one of those things is a very elevated uh, and noble um, goal. With all of that said, I want to ask you a question and I want you to be immodest in your answer. And my question is twofold. Number one, what is your superpower? And number two, what were you put on this earth to do? Well, I mean, Stu, you, you, I, I'm taking in what you're saying, all that you just said, and, it, and it's very meaningful to me. Um, uh, it really is um, because I view you as activated. I mean, you, you, like you moved to Costa Rica, you've changed careers, you've you've chosen this path as an artist, and put yourself out there in a way that, that most of us never do. Um, I mean, all of that. Uh, wow. So, um, I guess my superpower is, uh, I'm definitely a connector. Um, and I do have a way of seeing my, um, of seeing a certain piece of the future. I don't see all of it. I just see a certain piece and, it, and it's, it's, uh, it's a type of like high level creativity. Like I'm not, a, when, it, when you, when you drop down from like, so I might say, okay, um, I think that I can see, I see a path. I believe that every single car battery is going to be on the grid, right? Let's just say that that's appropriate for climate change. And it flies in the face a lot of a lot of people have said, but I see it. It's inevitable to me. It's just, you, it's hard to see it right now because that's not the way things work. How it happens, I'm not as good at. There are other people that are better at that. But I can see that it's going to happen. So I don't know how you box that up. And, and it's, it's um, you know, but I think those, those two areas are really where I can add the most value. I definitely connect. I can get people energized. And, uh, and this vision that is, that is, not complete on its own, but it's an important ingredient in the whole kind of innovative, creative process. Mm-hmm. Well, that started you on your path, right? One of the things you talked about at the Duke uh, Innovation or Entrepreneur thing, I saw a video. You talked about the value of your co-founder. Uh, you couldn't yeah. do the things yeah. you did uh, without yes. him. We were a good match. We He was really good at that mid, call it like the mid-level uh, creativity, innovation, activation, you know, we, we, and, uh, we were, we were a good match in our kind of ability to see the world, both where it's going and, and how to make it happen. Yeah. Collaboration has been another, another pillar in, in the, in the conversations that we've had in this platform. What do you consider your greatest success? 
I look at it as a series of jumps, right? I don't have a singular, like I jumped to the moon, right? And that's my success story. I actually look at it as a series of jumps that, that collectively make me feel really good about what I've done and how much more I want to do. Personally, having, you know, having kids, being married for 21 years, you know, uh, all of those, all of those are steps. I'm proud of myself, I guess, more recently and how I have adjusted in my 50s to doing something totally different. Maybe in a way, you know, I've been I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. And then before that, it was kind of like I started companies, but I always had a path. Now I jumped. I've got a mission. But, you know, in my 50s, how would I handle being kind of like being an entrepreneur again? I mean, I'm learning I'm back, you know, I always describe when I talk to OGs in the climate space, I, I say, I'm in seventh grade. You know, I was in third grade, I'm in seventh grade, and I really want to get to high school. Um, and that's really how I feel. I know that I understand investing and entrepreneurship, but in the climate space, it's a whole other world. And so I have had to go back to school and be upfront about it. And I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I don't hide from it. Like I don't try and pretend I know what I don't know. I go in and I say, listen, you're OG, you're, you know, have your PhD. I'm in seventh grade. Talk to me like a seventh grader. You know what's ironic about that? Stu, you started this talking about you knowing Josh from his prepubescence. Well, we're back before puberty, man. And you're right. uh, you're learning. And, you know, it's I, I think that there's a cycle that we're all on. And that's interesting that you're able to recognize that. All those things that led you here uh, were with you when you're in seventh grade for the first time. Yeah, I think we're all just trying to find if, if we can pay attention to it. What, you know, we're all three of us and, and may, are so lucky that we could pursue our passions and we're not having to stamp out widgets to survive. I mean, I want to acknowledge that. I have the luxury of paying attention to what motivates me most in the world and being able to pursue it. And that is a luxury. Most people, I say everyone in the world would like to be able to do that. And I feel that, you know, yes, I've earned a chunk of it, but it's a luxury. And so, I, you know, the passion I feel towards what I'm doing now, it reminds me of the passion I felt when I first started out as an entrepreneur. It feels very much the same. And, and it's the lens through which I look through, I look at the world through now. I mean, it really is, and that's good and bad. I mean, that, it is my singular lens right now and it's replacing all those. And I know my, my partner in the world, uh, you know, Jess, you know, she, she is an entrepreneur. And so she's like, you're, you know, she founded this company called Get Around, which is doing great work in the circular economy space. And, and she looks at me, it's like, you're acting like you're an entrepreneur again, because that's what you are. I want to talk about that transitional headspace when I'm going to take you back to the mid nineties. We're living in Boulder, Colorado. I'm working at Velo News. You're working for the phone company in Please. Denver commuting like just a fucking Boy. just just whatever <laughs> fill in the blanks you're working for the phone company. the next bitch. thing we know josh has said i'm moving to san francisco and i'm working you know there's this thing called the internet that basically no one even knew what it was yet like literally and and the next thing you know you're with organic and then and then you and dave do spinner i mean tell me about 
where are you, what happened? How did that happen? That was like this crazy thing. You were such a pioneer. Yeah. And I imagine the enthusiasm you're describing is, was there in, in its right. fullest. Like, tell us a little bit about the emotional space around that. It happened. It, 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 there was a swan dive with that. And I, and I wish I'll tell you this quick story. And then I don't know how to reach this person. Maybe somehow this, the person I'm about to refer to will watch this and like say, no, it was me. So I was, I was working us West. It was, it was, you know, it's a shitty job, but, but I liked the people I worked with and it was shitty just because things happen so slowly. And it's a phone company and, and um, I love living in Boulder as, as Stu can attest. He loved it too. But I remember working on this interactive television platform, which was what all the telcos were focused on. And I was working on a joint venture with uh, Electronic Arts and this company, 3DO, back in the day. And this lowly engineer, he was like a, he was probably a junior engineer at the time. He was on the team to create this interactive video game service for interactive television. And he said, can we talk privately? Because we're always on these big calls. And and I said, yes. Yeah. So we got on, we got on a call and he said, listen, I'm going to be upfront with you because I like you. I'm a, I'm not a, I'm a junior guy here, but I'm going to block everything that EA electronic arts is talking about doing with, with us West. I'm going to be a thorn. I'm going to try and block it in its current form. But I'm telling you that there's this thing called the internet. And if you were, if you somehow managed to get us West to focus on working with EA on a solution that leverages the internet, I will make it happen. I will fight until the wall comes down on me and I will be your ally. And he said that to me at the time. I was like, what's he talking about? Like, yes, I know the internet's there, but interactive TV is where all the money is. And then like, I think it was like a week later, I started seeing all the obstacles in interactive television. And I'm like, I've got to get the fuck out of here. Hmm. Like I've got to go. And I remember I, I should have written his name down. But I didn't. But I credit him, this guy, this junior engineer at EA, for like sparking that change in me. Because once it happened, it was like, I'm out. And I got a job and, uh, and I moved. And then one of our friends, um, uh, really close friends, Mike Citrin, he saw me moving. And then he was like, I'm coming with you. Well, that was, um, I mean, that was to say that was prescient is a, a sure. gross understatement, but it was something that you were very clear about. And again, you know, to our listeners and to those of us who have made swan dives, you know, you got to pull triggers, man. You got to pull yeah. triggers, whether you hit the target or not, you got to squeeze that thing and you got to squeeze it with authority. And that's something that you've done repeatedly right up to now with your newest iteration of yourself you have to fucking listen to yourself that's the piece that requires some confidence it's hard for you know like we have a thousand things running through our brains and how do you pay attention to the ones that matter most that's true in everything like whether you're running company or any anything you're doing and so i at the time i hadn't started anything but i paid attention to this this like vision I was that was starting to unfold for me and moving to San Francisco and working the internet, I just paid attention to it. And so I had, I start, and, and that's, I think the difference between other people have great, they, you know, we can all see things, but 
what do we pay attention to? But, but, and, but in your yeah. instance, though, it wasn't like the lightning bolt. You said it was a junior engineer, some guy that had no juice. Yeah. But you said, man, this, this thing's worth the squeeze. Um, and, and that's another lesson of just knowing that, you know, is it math or is it gut? Your gut was just saying, I'm out. Yeah. It was all gut. It was not, there was no math to look at, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. Well, there's another, there's another thing I want to tell you. And that was when you, so, so Spinner, for those of us who don't know Spinner, Josh's first company, Spinner became AOL radio. They were, they were bought for $320 million, became AOL radio, kind of set the table for streaming radio. Okay. That's, that's what Josh and, and his team created and when they were building that thing and it was they were hiring you guys were hiring like whatever it was like five people a week it was just the absolute just imagine the most sort of um exaggerated caricature of an internet startup and that's what it was with ping pong and foosball and you know what i mean and i remember because i would come over from my magazine and i would go out and have drinks with your team sometimes so i would end up sitting at the bar with some employee whomever it was and they loved you and i would ask you cuz i i was only there because we were friends and we were you know we were i was just hanging out after work but i'd say i was curious so i'd say like you know what's josh like as a boss like how's it like working for josh everybody we love Josh. He's so fun. He's very, very effective as a leader, um, but he creates a good culture. He creates a great environment. So I just want to give you props, man, because it's hard to be a boss. It's hard to be a boss when you're spinning plates during a hurricane on the ship of the Titanic, you know, on a Titanic. I mean, and you did it um, uh, uh, pretty well. And I'd also, if you don't mind, I, I you know, I, I, this isn't about like, tell us the story of your life in the internet 1.0, but I would like you to tell the story of when you and Dave walked into that AOL meeting. Uh, <laughs> they wanted to, they were interested in buying you and you walked right. in there and give us the inside baseball on like what, what happened there as, as briefly as you can, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, we, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, we first of all, you had no revenue of, uh, at all. It wasn't even no like, a notion yet. We, we had a lot of users and, Dave and I had never been involved in anything like M&A before, right? So we're, we're sitting in Dulles, Virginia, in this huge conference room with, like, Steve Case and, you know, all these leaders at AOL. And, uh, and I remember they threw a number out. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through all the details, but they threw a lower number out. And then uh, we, we went away. Dave and I went into another room with, with a friend of ours who was also an investor. We had her there. And I, and I was like, I'm just going to say 500 million and just throw it out there. Actually, I'm going to say 498 million because it sounds like we've thought about it. And, and I went back and I said, they had said 200 something and I said 498 or something like that. And they looked at us and said another number. And then I said 320. <laughs> and, and the guy, this head of Emanate AOL looked at me and he just stared at me. He was staring at me. And I was and I was kicking Dave under the table, right, to not say anything. And we just stared at each other. For I don't know how long. He was just seeing if I would blink. And um, and we did it at 320. There was no like math. There was no, it was just like human 
fucking psychology. Mm. <laughs> you know? hey, but but that you know, that's, that's an story. interesting moment. And I and I talked. Yeah. You know, I think about this now. You know, you've got umpteen, however many Twitter followers, three hundred twenty million sticks to you, and makes you a different person. Regardless, it's a big number. Changes your relationship with money. It changes your relationship with other people. It changes how you walk into a room. And a lot right. of what we talk about is identity. How was your identity forever changed by that number that you just randomly threw out there? Well, there's the identity that changed within, and then there's the identity that other people ascribe to me, right? So there are two different questions there. So within, right, I just, I overnight became more confident because I just achieved something that that I worked really hard to achieve, right? I worked hard and I we hit it. And I was rewarded for it both with the money, but the money for me was just about, honestly, I didn't, financial security. I, I just wanted to be secure financially. Um, and uh, and I just, I became made in, in a way. And so when you're made, one, you feel more, you feel like you can do more. Like I had this, I didn't have any imposter, like dilemma stuff happening. I didn't have any of that. I really felt like we worked hard and we, we got lucky for sure. Um, you know, we, I remember we were at the time we were like hot internet, hot, hot category, hot company sell. When those three things come together, sell. So I felt like we had timed it right. And I just felt, you know, again, confidence was a big part of it, which then allowed me to do, a, you know, think about what I was going to do next and feel good about being able to create again. But other people, you know, when I did this, they, they, they felt like people would laugh at my shit when it wasn't funny. Mm. Like that was weirdness that I didn't like. It created some, you know, lack of authenticity in, in my relationships where I, I couldn't trust that what I was receiving or what I was seeing from someone else was real. And that mm. sucked. Like that was, that was, you know, some might say, Oh, I love what people, I, I wanted it to be real. And so I had to be careful about, about my, relationships, my interactions with other people and, and try and, you know, pay more attention to choosing people as friends that, that really made, you know, where there was give and take. And, well, and let, let me ask you a question back to what Stu said earlier, that those moments in the bar in San Francisco and, and yeah. these guys randomly, your, your people saying, and what a great guy you were. Did those yeah. moments, what did that forever change those moments at the bar of the people that were around you? Did it change the makeup of that? I mean, for sure, but but it's mitigated by the the there's a level of confidence and and freedom that that tech workers feel like they they own they're in control. You know, they've been they've been, you know, supply demand has been has been messed up in tech for a long time. So I think in a way people when I look at my working relationships like everybody knows they can go, they can leave the firm they're working at whenever they want and find something great. So I think it, it, it does, you have to be careful in not letting it push you to people who are like you. That's the danger because if you only hang around wealthy people, like that's, you're missing out on life, right? You're, but people do it because they feel more comfortable with other people that have been successful. And, and partially there's validity to it that there's, maybe more authenticity in a way because those people don't want anything from you. They have it already, but 
it's it's a danger because you're just getting one little slice of life and and it's a bubble that you probably want to avoid. I one story I want to tell you guys that that is consistent with what you said. And I do think that it was it was a moment for me as a CEO that probably matches what you heard from people. The engine our engineers had had written this code that randomly every Friday at 4:20 sent an email out from a random person in the company to the entire company saying, you know, 4.20, meet me on the roof. Hmm. <laughs> and, 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 they, and they wrote it after we got acquired just because, and I, I knew they had written it and I'm like, I'm not gonna fucking touch this. <laughs> oh, cool. You know, even though my overlord today, well, would probably hate it. Um, and, and so no one knew about it. And then one day I was the random person that it came from to the whole company before 20. And at that you point, mean to AOL, to all of AOL? It went to everyone, not all of AOL, but, but the people Inside of Spinner. That are, well, it was all the local people, but all the people at AOL who were part of our, you know, work <laughs> on it. So I remember getting a call from my boss saying, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm like, what are you talking about? I pretend, I just played dumb and I'm like, I don't think about this. And so... It, I think it, it eventually had to be shut down, but it was not. <laughs> Those were the good old days, man. Those were the good old days. That was the final straw that broke AOL. Let me come back to the uh, to this notion of identity. You know, this is the oral histories of pivotal moments in meaningful lives. And those pivotal moments are moving towards one's most authentic self and one's vision of one's most authentic self. And another way to, to say that is one's identity. And so the question is, with all the various iterations of your life and all the multifacets of who you are and the work that you've done, how do you identify yourself today? If I said, what's your, what is your identity, Josh Felzer? What's the answer? I see people. Hmm. You know, I see people. Um, I really try hard to see people. Uh, and I think that's probably, you know, I, it's funny. I have this, this XX shirt that I just saw online and I loved it. And it's from the XX and it says, I see you on it, right? And uh, and I really try, that's something I really try and do. I try and see my, not just my friends, but randoms I connect with wherever I'm moving through life. So I really try and see people. And I guess, you know, I could mention some other stuff about vision and, and you know, like- You just, you just did. <laughs> you see people. <laughs> right, that's my vision. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. That is people. It's the 5th of January when you're hearing this. Did you get the message? Did everybody get the memo? <laughs> I see people. That is the goal for 2021. We need to see each other and and see and be open to whatever we see yes. and honor it. And I think that's a beautiful mm beautiful response wow i'm chills so take that back to the mission critical right now so the mission critical is okay let's let's get this coalition let's let's connect all the batteries in the world let's connect all the people let's connect the governments and let's connect uh the tech people and the and the private sector let's connect them all together let's see each other yeah i mean that without that we're you know climate change you know, has a massive disparity problem, right? It, it, it does get, it's starting to cover more and more. So in terms of seeing people, you have to go beyond just like, right? Batteries and cars entering the network and, and renewable energy changing the world and, uh, and really look at 
like who is impacted the most by climate change? It's not all of us on this call, right? This podcast, it's the people who are already living lives that are marginalized. And, and though that group is, is going to be hit the hardest. And I think if, if we can remember it's, you know, we're all affected by it, but I want to get in, you know, I try and pull out the emo the most emotional images I can when I talk about climate change, you know, and it really is, it is that, you know, the migration that is inevitable from the areas that are most impacted by climate change to safer areas. And, and though that migration is really from the poorest communities in the world who are going to have mm -hmm. to move to communities that are less poor. Yeah. And that is that no one's talking about that in the way that we should. There are people talking about it, but it doesn't, it's not hitting the, like the front and center conversations that we should be having. And so I do, you know, that's, so that's in my head. And I, and I have a, a very close friend who is, who is his whole life is devoted to disparity. Um, he's a neighbor of mine here. And so he's woken me up a bit too and trying to think beyond, like it's easy to get caught up in, in the mechanics of climate change, right? And, and, and the math, but the human, the human impact of climate change is, we can't even understand it. Like to make sense of, let's say that, you know, a billion people are dislocated, which is the number that I keep seeing, which is math. We can't comprehend what that means. What does that mean? Like, what's the impact of that on the earth? We can't, we can't, you know, we can't even go there. You've achieved a lot of things in a lot of spheres, professionally, personally, um, spiritually. What are you most proud of? I bloomed late as an entrepreneur. You know, I, I was in my 30s. And I bloomed late as a human. And, and Stu, I, I really, you know, you were there for it. There are a couple of things I'm going to say about Stu. One, I remember when I was going to Burning Man for the first time and I said, Stu, guide me, guide me. You're like, you don't need a guide. You're going to figure it out. I was so anxious when you said that to me and I kind of hated you for saying it, <laughs> but you were so fucking right. Right. So that first year of Burning Man was 2001 and that started it for me. That started my process of like, you know, shedding the fee. And this is a big part of jumping of the swan dive is trying to shed the fear of being judged, right? Trying to shed the fear of, of, uh, putting yourself out there and, and, and it not working, the fear of failure. And I remember the story I tell is I went to Burning Man and then like the next year I went to, I was invited to a party at a friend of ours, a Halloween party, Terry McFarland's house in San Francisco. And I, uh, I was, I put on, a, I was going to cross dress for the party and I put on a dress and I drove, um, I was driving to the party so before you know, on-demand, on-demand vehicles. And, and I was out of gas and I had to pull over and, and pump gas in my dress and my heels. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh my God, I can't do this. Everyone's going to make fun of me. I'm in a fucking dress as a woman, right? And I pulled over and I was pumping gas and, and somebody drove by and I got a cat call, right? <laughs> but a really good one, like a good positive cat call. Like, hey, baby. <laughs> love that dress. <laughs> And, and I remember like thinking, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm wearing a dress and that's what I want to do. And who cares what anybody thinks? 
And that for me was seminal to most, like I kept, I would think about that moment when I would care in a social situation and it was powerful. And so I think Burning Man was the start of me caring less about what people think of me and trying to be more authentic to myself and doing what I need to do for me. Uh, and it continued as I kept going to Burning Man, you know, 20 years in a row. And, and then I went to Hoffman, um, like, I guess now it's over two years ago. And it was like, it brought it all together. And Stu knows Hoffman because his brother went. And that was a seminal moment for me. It's like all these things I've been thinking about, this experience, week-long experience at the Hoffman Institute brought it all together. And it, it put language to the things that I'd been, that I discovered over my entire life. And it really propelled me and to where I am today, which is like, I just feel even more comfortable being vulnerable mm -hmm. with you, with everyone, with you on the phone. It's not always easy, but, but I find that it, it, it's never been easier. Um, can I amend your statement? You know, you yeah. said, I see people. May, can I, can I, may I? I see people <laughs> and they see me. Yes. That second part I'm still working on. I'm still working on that. That's, that's harder for me. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I, I, I definitely want to be seen in for who I am, not seen in a way of like an audience, but seen in for who I am by the people that I care about. And that there's a long, we could spend an entire episode on being the son of a Southern mother. I love my mom dearly, but this isn't this. I, I, I credit her with making this part of me hard. She made many other things incredible, but this one thing about being comfortable with compliment, being complimented, which is what both of you have done. I really appreciate it. That's way harder for me than complimenting other people now. Mm. And so that is a work in process. Well, just keep eating your grits, man. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What, uh, what is your word for 2021? Can I give a phrase? Sure. Stay with this theme. Like see and be seen. Yeah. See and be seen. See and be seen. Right. I think that's, that's for me, that's what I want. You know, that that's more relevant. I think that's the phrase that if you get dive into that, what that means, it's, it's quite deep and, and, and motivating. No, it's everything. It's yeah. everything. It's the entire yeah. playbook for 2021 for all of us. Yes. Um, it's the entire playbook for humanity, which is so terribly off the rails. And if we can right. simply see each other, and allow ourselves to be seen without without shame, and without fear, um, and with 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 a, with a with a a dollop of delight. Yeah, and uh, we're all trying to do that. And I so appreciate you stating it out loud. Yeah. And uh, and as as someone who's watched the work that you've done personally and professionally for the better part of thirty years now. Um, I see you, brother, and I've seen you evolve, and I am incredibly delighted with you, not just for you. And it's only going to get better because, you know, we're finally not not uh, just naive little puppies anymore. We've got a little bit of wisdom yeah. a little bit of a little bit of wisdom yeah just enough to be dangerous but i but but it's exactly what we need and i'm i feel your i feel your your contentment growing and i as my own grows and it's it's well earned thank you for uh sharing that chapter and swan dive just uh one quick thing is there any uh, website or any directional direction you want anyone listening to take 
um, as a follow up for this? You know, I don't I don't have uh, a single like singular. Like I said, most things in life, they're not. It's the collection, right? That that at least for me, the collection is what I see versus any singular, uh, you know, um, singular approach to to life. And so I don't have I don't have a you know a website to send people to. The one thing I would say that I think you know if we can maybe maybe this gets put in a different place, but is this the thing that stops most of us from from swan diving is a fear of failure, right? It, it, it's, and, and then you have people talking about how um, you shouldn't have a fear of failure. You like that's, and, and, and using that to try and shift the psychology, it's just false. Of course you should fear failure. It's rotten. It's terrible. Like when you fail, it's kind of the worst thing you can do. And so when people are inauthentic about that, it always drives me crazy. It's like they haven't failed, hmm. right? When you failed, you know how, how, what it feels like. And so better yet, like, don't let fear of failure stop, failure, fear of failure stop you from doing what you need to do your, from taking your swan dive. Like unwrap it, like pay attention to why you're afraid. And, and with that knowledge, jump and and that's the authentic way to pursue your passion and to do what you want to do in your life make it meaningful not to ignore it and say it's not real yeah there's some wisdom from the mouth of a guy who's succeeded greatly and failed as well if you want to learn more about josh subscribe to swandive.us oh wait um, <laughs> uh, no, Josh, listen, my brother, I love you. And I'm so grateful to have you here to kick off this new year with some real wisdom. And, uh, we are rooting for you. We can't wait to see what the future holds. And, uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing to have your story on Swan Dive. Well, I love what you're doing here. It, it's so powerful and inspirational to people. I really think that I got to listen to a few of your, of your previous podcasts, and hey, if it encourages what you're doing, this conversation and all your previous conversations, if it can get just, you know, that 10% that's left in the decision-making process to jump, if it can get people over that last 10%, 20%, that's huge because that's where most of us are. So thank you for, for all that you're doing. Thank you. Right on. Thank you, Josh. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.